Ladies, gentlemen, boys and girls, welcome to Justified. I'm David Colford, and let me tell you, Riley, I'm changing up a little bit. Okay. I'm wearing sweats today Okay. after our most recent guest. Uh, I'm no longer about the gene life. You're not? No, I'm going to be khakis and sweats only today. Today, uh, just today. <laughs> well, uh, for the future, <laughs> for the future, for the foreseeable future. Um, that but, seems like a bad move. I'm gonna be honest. With right. You. Well, if I'm at work, obviously, you know, gotta be professional. But uh, I'm gonna see what happens. It's a new. What game. about when, like summertime? Uh, I'll wear shorts. What kind of shorts? <sighs> see this. I haven't gone that far. This yet. is a conversation for later. <laughs> yeah, we'll we'll say that for later. Uh, your name's Riley Trudell. Yeah. Hello. Hi. How are you? I'm great. Great. Yeah. He's also he's wearing jeans. I love I'm wearing jeans. <laughs> Today we are joined by you guessed it another special guest. She's an activist for Black Lives Matter in the state of New Hampshire. She's bringing awareness and solutions to the problems that face our community. Please welcome Renell Chella. Renell, how you doing? Hi, I'm good. How are you? Doing fantastic. Um, so a little backstory. We went to high school together, probably like what, a couple grades apart, I'd say. Mm-hmm. Yeah, perfect. And uh, it's it's great to see like people in from high school now, just in general, like seeing, oh, okay, how are they doing? Like, what are they doing to make things better? Uh, just in a whole, let me tell you, I mean, you really, you're like, yeah, I'll take things better by whole and just make it a hundred times. Like you are out there doing mm-hmm. everything. Um, Thank you. Off, I mean, congratulations for everything you're doing. Um, I know it's it's not easy stuff. Um, so let's just talk about what uh, what Black Lives Matter is to you, I guess. So to me, Black Lives Matter is a way for me to really vocalize what I go through being a Black woman in this country and in the state of New Hampshire. Um, I think a lot of the times people don't realize that there is a problem with racism in the state of New Hampshire because there are so little of us here. But um, there is a black community in the state of New Hampshire and we do um, experience racism, we experience prejudice and we still experience a lot of the things that go on across the country. So for me, it's given me a platform to um, share my grievances and make change in my community. I uh, doing research on you is awesome. First off, just <laughs> learned so much. And I was like, I'll before this, I was like, oh, yeah, New Hampshire, well, you know, 96 percent white. Like, you know, we're pretty majority white. And uh, I didn't, you know, beforehand, I was like, oh, there's really like, you're not seeing everything on the news, right, about New Hampshire. It's just kind of there. I'm like, uh, if it's racism, like, it's not like big systemic issues that I'm seeing every day. Um, and then I was doing research. Um, I saw this uh, one video from uh, 2016 and like the Nashua PD was, uh, they pulled this guy over and there was a helicopter above them and they didn't notice the helicopter. And they like rip the dude out and police brutality all over the board. So, yeah. so I was like, okay, all right, that's uh, alarming, right? This was in 2016. Mm-hmm. Um, and then my best friend Taylor is uh, African American. He moved down to Florida, and uh, I would always ask him because I'm just curious. Person like Taylor, like and an honest answer, like, do you experience racism in New Hampshire? And he's like, honestly, he's like, um, he's like sometimes, and I'm like, he's like sometimes people just stare at me funny. I'm like, okay, well. Like how it's just interesting having those conversations with him. Um, what sparked you to be an activist? Yeah, so um, I actually started, I stepped into activism in 2016. Um, I was a sophomore, junior in high school. I think I was going into my junior year of high school. 
um, might've been senior. I honestly don't remember now, but um, it was after the shooting of Philando Castile in Minnesota and Alton Sterling in Louisiana. Um, that's what kind of sparked me and my friends to start Black Lives Matter Manchester. But we had all experienced racism um, in our own lives here in New Hampshire, whether that be through microaggressions and things that people would say to us at school or with law enforcement. Um, and so we really wanted to show people that these are issues that we're going through. Um, and we wanted to share our voices and our stories with our neighbors and our friends. And we really wanted to give ourselves and others a platform. Um, I can remember very distinct um, experiences that I had where people in school would say things like, you know, black people deserve discrimination because 90% of us feel we're on welfare and we're criminals. Um, and yeah, things that teachers would say to me. Um, I remember when I was in um, eighth grade, a teacher said something along the lines of, I don't know if how you behave is okay where you come from. And um, if you're not, yeah, that's a very, a very common clear microaggression. And so it was things like that that led me to um, really want to have my voice heard. But then there are also experiences that I had with law enforcement and being followed and like how law enforcement would behave when I was pulled over and things like that, that led me to um, understand that there was a problem, not only with like my neighbors and um, people who I might've called friends um, and classmates and things like that, but also there were issues systemically, like within education, within um, the criminal justice system, housing and things like that that needed to be dealt with as well. Yeah, I, uh, that eighth grade teeth, that is wild. That is actually, like, how how often would that happen in, um, just in general to you? Very often. Um, every other day, weekly, I think, especially going to school at Memorial High School. Um, I experienced it very early when I entered high school, um, especially in my civics class, my civics class where we were talking about like a lot of social and political issues and things like that. And that's where a lot of people um, kind of felt boldness and they felt able to kind of vocalize their racism. And so that's kind of where I experienced it there. And then there are places like the lunchroom and the hallways where I would experience things as well. Um, and then once in a while, like going into stores and being followed by like associates and managers and things like that, because they thought that I was going to steal or um, being pulled over for absolutely no reason and then being let off. But also um, how I was treated by police officers and how I saw my brother treated by law enforcement and like my father and things like that. Um, it happens pretty frequently. I think a lot more frequent than one would expect if they don't go through those things. I, um, my good pal Taylor, I, his dad is like pretty much my dad at this point. Uh, he pulled me aside and he was, uh, this a couple years ago and, uh, he was, he was just like trying to spark conversation. I asked him like, so Taylor tells me that like you, uh, have this conversation like at a very young age of like how you should, um, if a police officer approaches you like what, you know, like the first thing uh, he told Taylor, like, be careful, like, don't, you know, like he's not there to help you kind of thing. Um, you recently have been appointed by Chris Anunu for, um, let me pull it. I'm sorry. What was the, uh, the New Hampshire law enforcement accountability community and transparency group. Um, what is that like? So um, I served on the New Hampshire Commission on Law Enforcement Accountability, Community and Transparency this past summer. Um, and it was a commission where we kind of studied and looked at a lot of the, like how policing is and how the criminal justice system is here in New Hampshire and um, released a list of recommendations to the governor um, for what we 
thought should be changed or added or altered or things like that. And we listened to hours of testimony. We read lots of testimonies, heard lots of presentations, and there was a lot of discussion between um, the members of the commission. So like there was me, I was considered a public member. And then there was one other public member who was actually a former police chief, so not really a public member. Mm-hmm. And then members of police unions and then the NAACP, the New Hampshire Commission on Human Rights and the Department of Justice and just all of these different actors. And um, we each brought our own perspective and our ideas and our recommendations and put them together. Um, there were a lot of things that I thought should have been included in there that unfortunately weren't. Um, and a lot of great things that I think were included in the final report that um, I'm excited to see implemented in New Hampshire um, when and if that occurs. Um, it was a lot of hard work. Um, it was a lot, it gave me a lot of experience and um, I'm very blessed to have been able to serve on the commission, but it also, I think, laid bare a lot of the issues that we have here in New Hampshire, like issues that I wasn't even aware about. And um, I think it really opened my eyes to the fact that we have a really, really long way to go. And there are a lot of things that stand in the way of change and that poses obstacles to the type of change that activists like me want to see here in New Hampshire. I'll be honest. I was like probably a couple years ago i was in that mindset of like uh like pretty much what the media is putting out like with just it's like oh black lives matter equals rioters and i'm like all right well that's not cool and then you know every at this point it seems like every week something's coming up um and i'm like okay this is actual problem like this is and uh again my thing was oh okay well it's new hampshire we don't there's not that many people here you know um and then the, the video I talked about earlier happened. And then uh, Chris Sununu coming out and say, we need to think of some solutions, some ideas. So I, uh, it's, I'm happy to have you on because I personally want to learn more about what is just going on in New Hampshire in general. And uh, like, what, what can I do personally? What, is there anything I can do to help? Or is it just kind of, uh, I need to sit back and just let these things flow out? What do you recommend? Yeah, so in New Hampshire right now, um, we're actually working on a lot of different things at the state level. So we've taken like a lot of our demands and other things. So bills that have been brought up by state legislators um, and really trying to implement um, some of the changes that we want to see through legislation. For example, there were bills that have to do with legalization of marijuana and the use of tear gas and rubber bullets and um, teaching about racism in schools, like just a whole list of completely um, different things that all have to do with the same topic. And um, we have, we always have very specific calls to action on our page. And um, it's really important that when you support or oppose a certain bill, you let your, um, your state representative know or your state senator know. And so we will give you a link to either to sign in to oppose or to, um, or to advocate for a bill and you just like give your email and your name and then um, they have that amount of people, they'll be like, oh, like a thousand, 1,500 people sign in to support this bill or 1,500 people sign in to oppose this bill. And we kind of give you a little synopsis of what the bill is about. And we kind of like do all that like heavy lifting for you because a lot of people are not reading legislation. Um, And um, it's really helpful because the more people that call about a certain bill or the more people that email about a certain bill, that's what gets paid attention to. And I think that that's really important because um, 
we are their constituents and they're there to do a job and they work for us literally. And so I think that that's one of the best ways to get involved is to um, look for specific call to action, like, hey, call your member of maybe like our congressional delegation, like your member, your, your, your US representative, sorry, or um, your senator or maybe your state representative or your state senator and let them know how you feel about a certain piece of legislation. Um, yeah. And it's actually been super successful. I think when it came to the bills dealing with the legalization of marijuana here in New Hampshire, mm -hmm. um, we had people turn out in record numbers to either testify or sign in to support or oppose the bill. And um, yeah, they had never seen numbers like that before. So it makes a really big difference. That's good to hear. Because I mean, I'm shocked uh, marijuana is not legal yet. If I'm being honest, I'm pretty, I mean, every pretty much every state or actually, I'm pretty sure every state around us yeah we exist on like an island of um like we're the state that does not have legalization of marijuana it's only decriminalized and every state around us does so right how do you um how would how do you feel about this proposition because i feel like a big um big glaring issue is uh let's say they legalize weed tomorrow right but those who have been put in jail for having possession of marijuana um there, it's not like a, you know, like, hey, you have an illegal drug on you. We're going to give you like a year. It is like, we're going to give you 10 to 20. You're going to be a convicted felon after. Good luck finding a job. Like, it is, it's insane. Like, how do you, uh, do you support uh, like a bill that would say um, either give a, give a lighter sentence or just pardon anyone who's been convicted of marijuana? Yeah. So in both my personal and professional, I guess you could say capacity, I support expunging the records of those who have been convicted of nonviolent drug related offenses. Um, I think that legalization of marijuana means a lot, but it means a lot less if it does not come with expunging records, because in reality, when records are not expunged and when marijuana is not legalized, it tears apart families and specifically black families and um, perpetuates the cycle that leads to other things as well that um, unfortunately dis permanently disenfranchises, disadvantages us. And so um, I think expunging records is really important and that needs to be a provision as well. I agree with that 100%. Um, one thing I did want to talk about, and this could be on me, so I want to apologize because I couldn't find the actual results of the committee that you uh, served for, like what the end results were. What were the end results by the, was like the end of the summer? Yeah, so um, we finished our formal work at the beginning of September, okay. and I believe we released a set of, I think, 48 recommendations, and we um, we released them, and they were endorsed by Governor Sununu. Um, there was a lot of them ranging from things like increasing the numbers of hours that police officers in New Hampshire are given at the Police Management Training Council in regards to race sensitivity training, cultural sensitivity training, implicit bias training, things like that, and then increasing data collection um, and making sure that police officers are collecting the demographic of race at every stop, detainment, and arrest. Um, because that's really important because it proves that either way, like, is there a disparity? Is there a disparity or is there not a disparity? Um, you talk to law enforcement in New Hampshire and they'll tell you a lot of the time that um, there's not a problem here in New Hampshire and that they are not disproportionately arresting and jailing um, black men and women. Um, and then the numbers say the numbers that we do have say something else. Um, but New Hampshire is also really bad when it comes to data collection. So that was one recommendation that we felt was really, really important to include in the final report. And then there are other things as well, like um, recommending that police departments um 
partner with community organizations in order to bridge the gap between themselves and the communities that they serve, um, making sure that police, police departments are making an effort to hire more police officers of color. Um, and then there was recommendations based upon um, making sure that police departments in New Hampshire are upholding national best practices on things like the use of force, use of deadly force and things like that. So there are a lot of different recommendations. 48 different recommendations. That is, yeah. that is a lot. And um, it's a glaring, that's a glaring number. That's not like, Oh yeah, just make one or two changes. And you know, for the most part, we'll be good kind of thing. 48, that's pretty much like a systemic, like, Hey, we need to like really kind of overhaul this whole system. And I love the recommendations you're putting out. They're not like, they're not asking too yeah, much. They're not they're, like, it's not like, Hey, you're going to lose your job kind of thing. Like it's, Hey, let's just, let's collect some data. Like, let's really take a look at what's going on. You know, do you really need to use deadly force here? Or can, are there other means to detain, you know, um, I, the data part is huge. I mean, that is probably the, yeah. that is where you're going to get any result uh, whatsoever. Um, what about body cams? Um, is that a, was that one of the recommendations? So the recommendation that we made surrounding body cameras was that every police department in New Hampshire was strongly encouraged to um, get body cameras. Um, it was mandated for the state police, like the state police is going to have body cameras and like this is going to happen. Yeah. But when it came to individual police departments, it was that we are going to encourage them to, which um, I think is. Uh, very harmful. Um, I remember not too long ago, I was pulled over in Portsmouth. And like, you know, as a black American, you have these thoughts that go through your head when you're pulled over, like, you know, you were talking before about how your friend, um, his dad would tell you about like what he has to do when he's pulled over. And like, so in my head, I'm like, all right, tell the officer everything that I'm about to do everywhere that I'm reaching, make sure that my hands are spread out so he can see that there's nothing in my hands, um, making sure that I'm presenting myself a certain way. Um, and would I been would I have been in Manchester when I was pulled over? I would know that the encounter would have been recorded. However, I was pulled over in Portsmouth, and Portsmouth actually recently had a study commission where they studied whether or not the city should get body cameras for their department. And the ending of that, like the end result, was that they were not going to. And so that thought also went through my head, and I was like, wow, like. Um, you know, so unfortunately, the recommendation was to encourage all police departments to get body cameras, but not um, mandated. So, right. I, that's I mean, that's just ridiculous that like. I, I can. Here's the thing, like just looking at it logically, the only thing I can see against body cameras would be just the money, like just either there's no funds to buy the body cameras or and fund every single officer or whatnot. And if that's the case, you know, maybe raise taxes a little bit for a little bit right but uh other than that i mean it's a great idea like just it's transparency for both ways right so let's say i don't know like a court case comes up and you need testimony well we have a video right here you know we can just look at this um yeah portsmouth that's wild that is uh there's just no point in that um yeah how um when you so when you first got involved in this commission how you said like earlier that it opened your eyes. How, how big did it open your eyes realistically? Like how, uh, what's the right word to use when you're scratching into the, the problem, right? Was it like, okay, here, like it was one problem initially and then it spread up to like 20 problems or was it like way bigger than that? Um, it was bigger than I had ever imagined. I think, um, 
I knew this much before and I know like this much now and there's still like so much that I have to learn all this knowledge that I have to um, that's out there for me to obtain when it comes to the issues that we have here in New Hampshire. Um, I didn't know like just how lacking New Hampshire was when it came to data. Um, New Hampshire is really bad when it comes to transparency in cases of police misconduct. Um, you know, there's this list right now, which is called the exculpatory evidence schedule, but for short, everyone calls it the Lori list, which has to do with a, a court case, um, dealing with this kind of thing. But, um, it's basically a list of police officers who have misconduct issues and credibility issues and things like that. And organizations have been fighting to get that list public for literally years and years and years. Um, it's just, there are a lot of issues that I think the public should be more aware about. Um, and even I wasn't aware about, and I'm literally like, I do this kind of thing. And so it really did open my eyes. Um, yeah. 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 I, I thought that list was public, honestly, cause I knew of an existence of a misconduct list. I didn't know the name of it, but I thought that was public. That's not public. No, it's not. Um, so that's, it's very, um, redacted um so yeah it's not public um the aclu of new hampshire has been fighting to make it public we actually like on the commission we made a recommendation to make the the lorry list public um but currently there are police unions and other things trying to fight against the list becoming public so right yeah it's a yeah that is have you uh have you considered to be like a lawyer that you should i would highly (laughs) recommend a lawyer uh that's that Hopefully, I'll be going to law school when I'm done my undergrad. So, crossing my fingers. <laughs> oh, all right. Look at that. You got it all planned out. And I think the fact that you're doing this all as an undergrad speaks yeah. volumes about you as a person and your drive and your passion for just making, like, making things right. Like, this is this isn't about like people being above each other. It's about making everything even. And your 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 drive to go on and put all this extra work in on top of your day to day life is is. Uh, it's inspiring. Thank you. I appreciate that. I think that's actually why I want to go to law school too and why I want to become a lawyer is to continue this type of work at a different level. Yeah. How do you, I got to ask personally, how do you manage all that? Like what's your, <laughs> your day-to-day? Like, Cause it is, that that is insane. So like undergrad, you're doing this. I'm assuming you have like work part-time or full-time or something on the side like that. Like how do you do all that? Yeah, it's not easy. Um, <laughs> I think um, I realized very, very quickly that it was going to be difficult and that um, I was going to have a hard time kind of organizing my life and making sure that I was not only doing everything that I needed to do, but taking care of myself as well. Um, so I have a planner. I have a phone mm-hmm. calendar. Yeah. Um, I have a regular calendar. Um, I still often forget a lot of the times about stuff that I'm supposed to do. And so I'll hop on to like a Zoom call or a meeting or something like that, like two minutes before or like going into the meeting. Sometimes like I'll be getting off of um, like a class on Zoom and then I have to run over because like, oh, like this state representative wants to meet with Black Lives Matter or like I have to go to this meeting because I'm like sitting on this council or like it's a lot of work. Um, (laughs) So it's, it's, yeah. Let me tell you as. I just started using like a planner, like uh, on my phone, just probably four months ago. I'm 24, like that. <laughs> it is a lifesaver. I just figured, like, most of the time I would kind of like get it by my head, like, all right, I got this at like 11, this at 12, yada, yada, yada. But 
I don't know, man. I don't Maybe it's I'm getting old or there's too much on my plate now where I'm like actually starting to forget things. Okay, shit, I was supposed to do that three hours ago. <laughs> I'll do that. Um, how does it feel? I mean, you are pretty much, you're putting everything out there, right? And you're a voice for a lot of people who either can't speak up or are afraid to speak up or anything like that. How does it feel to be a voice for those people? Um. I honestly think that I think the it, it's an honor, honestly, um, that I've been given the opportunity to be a voice for people who can't speak up or maybe like don't have that voice or they just don't have the platform that I do. And so like it's an honor to have been trusted by my community and things like that to be a voice for people in Manchester and for people of color in the black community here in New Hampshire. Um, it can be very difficult at times because like I'm still like I'm learning I'm growing every single day and so like I don't always make the right decisions I don't always like say the right thing um, but regardless people don't fault me for my mistakes and they support me and so like I'm really blessed to be able to be in this position and it's an honor to be a voice for those people yeah that is I mean I remember um, probably a year ago uh, I was watching a video of you at a rally and uh how has a uh, coronavirus impacted just the whole movement in general? Has it hindered it or is it still like, you know, kind of push coronavirus aside? Let's just get this mission done. Yeah. So in the summer of last year, it was a little weird because it was like, here is this pandemic that is also disproportionately affecting our community and that is taking lives and um, affecting just everything in our day-to-day lives, our economy, our jobs, um, our families. Um, and here's this other issue, police brutality, systemic racism. And so it's like, you kind of have to choose how you want to fight for your life. Basically, are you going to take that risk and go out in public and, um, go to rallies and have events and have in-person gatherings, or are you going to stay home and kind of let the issue die down? And so, um, we had a pretty large attendance at our in-person gatherings. They're always outside. Um, of course, because how are you going to have a march inside? But um, yeah, so a lot of people kind of, I think, had the same thought process, but saw the importance in showing up. Um, a lot of people, we never had a problem with people not wearing masks or things like that at our in-person events. And when it was possible, people socially distanced. Sometimes it's just completely impossible. But um, when it was possible, people did respect social distancing guidelines. Um, and then there are other times where we wish we could have like meetings with like um, each other, like fellow organizers or other organizations, maybe um, state legislators, our U.S. like senators, representatives, just really anybody. And we wish we could have them in person, but we can't and it's over Zoom, which I think takes away the personal like aspect of everything. Um, but it's also been really great because I think we can also reach more people um, people are becoming accustomed to getting their information like online and like having like online meetings and things like that. And so, whereas maybe if we were doing in-person meetings, we could get like 20 people to come to a BLM organizing session. We were able to get like a couple hundred people on like Zoom calls, which I think is really great. Yeah, it's weird. It's weird, right? Because you would, you miss that human interaction, right? But like you said, sometimes you, you might get an outcome of 20 versus a Zoom call, which could be a hundred or something like that. It's it's weird, but now yeah. Point, so last July, I feel like BLM as a whole took kind of a step forward. 
Like I feel like in my in my life, I saw it like for the first time be more widely accepted. I don't know if that's a me and my group of people that I surround with are now at an age where you know you're not listening to your parents' ideals and you you're forming your own opinions. And now it's just us as a group have been like, yeah, no, this is like is wrong and like people need to stand up. But I feel like la- it was last July around then where I think everything kind of took a step forward and I saw more people became universally like, yeah, black lives matter. This is absolutely a fact. We shouldn't be arguing it anymore. We shouldn't be putting up with, you know, Oh, grandma was her. It was, that's how she was raised. Like there was a, I think in last July, it was kind of this point where everyone was like, no, that's not okay. Like have Mm -hmm. a talk with grandma, like kind of the way to be like, I feel like that was for the first time in my life that I've really felt like, okay, it has taken a next step. And like, how has that been built on and or do you agree kind of? Yeah, I completely agree with um, pretty much everything that you said because um, political socialization starts like in your home. And so you get all of your ideas and your ideals and your beliefs about like the world from your parents. Um, and then there comes a point where you kind of like um, have to form your own beliefs. But yeah. then at the same time, um, there like there comes a point where we have to realize that that's not an excuse to remain comforted in the beliefs that we have about the world. And I think um, people, I think the whole world watching a police officer kneel on George Floyd's neck for eight minutes and 46 seconds was really a turning point because there was, it was really, you'd be pressed to find somebody who thought that it was justified. Um, There there were people, of course, because there's always people like that. But I think that that was um, a real eye opener for people. And um, I, you know, I had a lot of people around then um, say like, you know, I had conversations with you in high school about this kind of thing. And I didn't know back then. And so I was really ignorant when it came to how I approached you and how like I spoke to you and how I engaged in those conversations. And for that, I'm sorry, because like, I didn't know before. But now with this, I see it, I know, and I understand. So, um, yeah, I would completely agree with what you said. I think that's so important, though, too, is like you could admit you've been wrong in the past. You can admit I want to learn like yes. I mean, like even yeah. us there. What is it? You say 94 uh, percent. Yeah, 94, 96. It's a high number. It, yeah, it's yeah. a high number. High like, number. you know, you can out you can read out. What, what am I saying? You can reach out like you can try to learn, try to better yourself. And I've been wrong in the past and I want to be better going forward. How can I help out? And I think, you know, that footage is just, it's just wrong. Everything about it is wrong. And I think that was for a lot of people being like, you know what? They've been right. Like they are right. Like, and I want to help out. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And just to piggyback on that. I mean, um, probably, I think the the reason I talked to you about, Hey, let's, let's start a show where like, we could just learn. I'm just curious. I just like to meet people and like, see David is a curious man. Curious (laughs) man. All right. What's your story? Let's, let's just talk for an hour and see what's going on. And, uh, there have been people, um, who I know, I'm not going to name names, but who have been, you know, like probably like before the George Floyd, uh, incident happened, people, you know, they're like, Oh, black, they're just a bunch of rioters. Right. I'm like, well, I, you know, the media, that's all they put out there. That's all I've seen, I should say. So I'm like, I, I can see that point. And then this happened. And uh, like, like I said, I don't think I've met one person who was like, oh, yeah, Black Lives, Black Lives Matter is a rioter. 
and then look at that George Floyd footage, be like, oh yeah, that's that's right. Like, yeah, that's that's procedure. Like, uh, it is yeah. great to see that change happen. Um, obviously, I wish we could all like everyone can see that change, and uh, I understand for some people it takes. I I just have a feeling people don't like to admit if they're wrong or if they don't know anything, and that's that's how you grow as a person. Just say, look, oh shit, I didn't know that was going on. My my apologies. What can I do to help, or you know, what can I do to spread awareness? Um, thankfully, Renell, you're the voice pretty much for that. I mean, you're you're kicking ass out there. I mean, how many representatives are you talking to like per week? I feel it. I feel like oh geez, <laughs> no idea. Um. <laughs> a lot those group scouts yeah. lit <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's uh i mean did you ever expect uh to see yourself in this position either um like a year ago or when you were a kid just at all in your lifetime um so i always knew i had a voice and um but I didn't know that I would have been able to share my voice in this manner. Um, I always kind of call me and like my friends, my fellow organizers, accidental activists, because like we were also we were always very like um, strong willed and like we always ve- had very strong opinions and things like that. And we're always willing to share. But all of this kind of happened on accident. It was like um, we had our first protest um, at the end of May in 2020. And then everyone was kind of asking what's next. And we were like, well, what do you mean? What's next? Like, you know, we kind of just thought that we were going to do this and go on our way. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And so like, now it's like, here we are. So like, I definitely did not expect this. Now, um, obviously you don't have to name a names, but when you're talking representatives, like, have you met some that are like completely on board and they're like yeah let's let's do this thing or have you had any pushback from certain representatives or anyone in the government yes um our congressional delegation so when it comes to like um chris Pappas, Amy custer gene chain maggie hassan um have been really like open to meeting with us and having like our ideas heard there are definitely things that they um don't really agree with and we like wish that they would do and we've had to be like like look why are you voting like this in congress you know um and then when it comes to the state house i think um new hampshire politics are very interesting they're very entertaining um we have a very unique um new hampshire house of representatives there's like 400 of them and um the largest in the country and it's, it's absolutely ridiculous um and you'd be you'd be surprised <laughs> the kinds of things that our representatives get away with saying and doing it's something new every single week and these kinds of things would not fly in other parts of the country and so um the pushback so like the original like the dissent and like them not agreeing coupled with how they behave yeah. is really interesting to deal with yeah i can you watch on like c-span like is that a so they're um the the committee hearings and things like that are actually they go live on youtube so like yeah um yeah you can hear them and hopefully you never have to well i don't want to say hopefully you never have to testify because like it's good if you support it or oppose bill, you should testify but it, it literally takes forever you'll be there for hours so yeah have you have you testified I have. I've testified for a number of different bills. Um, interesting experience every time. 
yeah like what is what is that like like prepping wise do you like are you sitting down with like a lawyer beforehand or like is this just like you're like right, no it's super yeah super informal so um i kind of um talk to like my group and like we decide like you know what stance we're taking on a certain thing and then i go in with um what like why i support or oppose a bill like as black lives matter or maybe as a member that served on the leaf commission um you know i ask people from different organizations like i have people from the aclu um you know we meet with them and like discuss what their stance is on things because when it comes to dissent like unity is super important and it's how things actually get done right um so i kind of just pour my heart out into my testimony oh, and hope that to... yeah that's the right way of doing it right definitely we'll get, yeah. we'll get eyeballs on there um 400 people that is insane for the state i think rep. it's for what is it like yeah, there's a lot. Let's just say that. <laughs> you really need that many? <laughs> we're paying. We're like it. it's <laughs> one of the smallest states, the most, the most representatives. It's crazy. Yeah, that is. I mean, Texas. I'm gonna look this up later, but I'll. I'll that's that's a that's crazy. Um. So what are what's your future goals for yourself personally and for uh, Black Lives Manchester? And are you? So all right, before we go into that question, you're the, the founder of Black Lives Manchester, correct? Co-founder, yes. Co-founder, okay. Is there like a, like a Black Lives Matter New Hampshire? No. So um, there is Black Lives Matter like at the national level, and then it's super decentralized. So there's like there, like a lot of a lot of unofficial chapters, and then there are um, official chapters as well. Um, we actually talked to somebody from like the Global Network earlier today. Um, and we are an unofficial chapter. Um, there isn't a Black Lives Matter New Hampshire. So um, a few years ago, like in 2016, Black Lives Matter Manchester was a thing. And then a smaller group broke off and like they have like a Facebook page and they organize a little bit as well. And they're called Black Lives Matter New Hampshire, but they're not a group that like does any of the stuff that we do. Okay. All right. So it's kind of, you know, central black lives matter national then it kind of breaks off um but you know as long as everyone's kind of helping out that's, yeah that's goal as long as we're raising yeah. awareness. so yeah okay, perfect that was just a question i wanted to get out there so diving into uh the future what is the future for you Rennell? and then what is the future that you want to see with black lives manchester black lives matter manchester my apologies mm-hmm so for me, hopefully um, continue this work, continue fighting for racial justice, go to law school and dismantle white supremacy and systemic racism from the inside out. Yeah. Um, you know, I like want to do some damage to the system. So um, that's hopefully what I'm going to do. Um, when it comes to BLM Manchester, I'm hoping that we can see some sub- substantive change. Um, I'm hoping that a lot of the things that we're fighting for every single day are implemented and we see um, we advance our community because that's what we're trying to do is advance the community and really we're fighting for equity and so um i'm hoping that none of the things that we're doing are in vain um so yeah i i'm gonna just say it right now the things you were doing are not in vain Uh, i mean we're having this conversation right now um you know people people change every now and then but uh, for me personally, I was, uh, what are we in 2021? Yeah, probably like yes. 2016, 2015. I was like, oh, yeah, again, I just listened to the media. Like, okay, they, they yeah. want 
put rioters on for and i know that's not what black lives matter is now um there's just there's gonna be bad eggs and everything you do you know not every uh trump voter is a capital rioter you know it's just common mm-hmm. sense kind of thing uh now like riley said i think you nailed it right on the head good sir um thanks it, it is you know we can it's a problem it needs to be addressed you know you can't kind of shove it under the rug and say we'll deal with this in the next election kind of thing like we need to we need to do that it benefits everyone so this mm-hmm. is like uh you know if you want to play like a personal game it, this benefits everyone so you know um keep up the great fight i mean just seeing you from from high school to now it's awesome i mean seriously keep it up it, you're giving a voice for people who again either uh, can't speak up or are scared to speak up or you know don't know what to say um so you're doing great keep it up if you ever need words of encouragement you know i'm sure me and Ryan will be there in your corner fighting for you uh, thank you no problem. if you need me to testify uh, i bet again i don't you'd be problem. great I'll, all right thank you <laughs> thank you um before we head out right did you have any questions good sir yeah so what would be your thing to tell someone say there's someone out there who's listening right now they're like in their they're they're an all lives matter type person they say yeah well why does your life matter more than mine what what do you say to that person to kind of get them to realize that this isn't one over the other but all of us in this together yeah so all lives can't matter until black lives matter this is everyone versus racism um you know it's easy to say that all lives matter but it's apparent that the systems that adjudicate and govern in this nation do not agree with that and so um we have to fight for that we have to fight for true equity um you know this system was built on racism you know our constitution all these documents that are on the foundation of this nation have racism rooted in them and so every day we are trying to um we are trying to change that because we are still feeling the repercussions of slavery and segregation. And so um, when you say all lives matter, you ignore the fact that there is a root issue that needs to be addressed because it's easy to say that all lives matter, but are you really looking at the problem at hand? And the answer is no. So that's what I would say. Yeah. And I think, I think people like you are fighting to make that statement true. You guys are fighting. So the statement all lives matter will actually one day hopefully be a factual statement like exactly one day for us all to be equal so then yes all lives do matter like so i i uh, I really commend your work i think it's awesome what you're doing and um excited to see what you continue to do and keep doing for the community thank you and thank you for having me on guys anytime anytime uh renell thank you so much for coming on um again keep going at it you got this all right and where Oops, can... sorry, my, you're right my, my yeah, you took over producer roles in the beginning and you forgot I'm, your host stuff. I know, um Ronald, where can they find you where can they find information um you know about everything if they want to learn just general mm-hmm. courses they can use yeah so um we are on instagram at bl manchester new hampshire um we are on twitter at blm manchester new hampshire um, you can also follow at BLM Nashua on both Instagram and Twitter because we work like pretty cohesively a lot of the time. 
Um, The ACLU of New Hampshire is really great to follow as well. And you can follow me too at Renell underscore underscore on Instagram and Twitter. There you go. All right. And we will link all of those in the description. If you're listening to this, you can go into the bio, find out all that stuff. Um, Yeah. Keep up the fight, Renell. Thank you so much for coming on. Thank you.